Welcome to Engaging the Muse. I'm your host, Kat Spina. This podcast is all about giving voice to the creative process, meeting my guests where they are, and illuminating how they got there. So tonight, I welcome to the program Engaging the Muse, a podcast about process, creativity, and the journey, Mike Squalanti, also known as Mike Squalanti from the band The Running Lights. Mike is coming to us from New York, from his studio. Thank you so Hello. much for having us. And Thanks for having me on. Oh, this is so great. Mike is not only an extremely talented guitarist, vocalist, songwriter, he's a producer as well, and he's really at a place, I believe, after, and I'll tell everybody this story, um, the years that I've known Mike come into his sound. This The last few singles that you have released, I feel, have so embodied your essence, and they're just sounding so great. So if you guys do not know this band, The Running Lights, you have to go over to Spotify and check out their latest, um, a particularly Dreamer, which is a standout track. So thank you so much for being a part of this and sharing your story tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And and for anybody who's looking to find the band, um, it's just, uh, if anybody's seen the movie, The Social Network, when Justin Timberlake shows up and goes, drop the the, that's kind of what we did <laughs> with our band name. So it's just running lights. Running lights. Like a, it's like a verb. It's an action, you know. There you go. I like yeah. that. Thank you so much. So yeah. What I always tell my guests and where we sort of start is the connection that you and I have. And of course, this is really rooted in many, many years ago, which is you being the front man or the the guitarist. You were the guitarist. Yes. Mike was the guitarist for my brother's band. My brother played the bass and he still does today for the band called Ever Since. And that music was so great. Loved it. That pop rock. Uh, seeing you guys at the Pleasantville Music Festival, really doing great things together collectively as a band. Yeah, and I hope, those I hope, were good days. Good days. I enjoyed that. That was. I look back on those days very fondly. That was some good times we had in that band. You know what was so interesting is, well, Phil, Phil and I, my brother and I are about, four years apart. And I remember seeing him, you know, from the corner of my eye down the hall, playing and practicing the bass and really being self-taught on it. And I had a much Mm -hmm. more traditional route. As soon as I, I had the urge to sing, I was taking lessons. So what I always admired about you guys as a band and watching your early journey was that collaborative experience and what you can learn from each other by being in such a nourishing band environment. And obviously that, you know, the story of bands, that's not always the case. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. What did you (laughs) actually, if we kind of start there, what were some of the experiences you had? Because I love the song dreamer. I feel like this could be a really uh, recurring theme in this podcast, keeping these dreams alive and what you wanted 
how did you get your start as far as the guitar goes or any anything first in music that came to you? What was that like for you? So I grew up um, in a musical environment, right? So my dad uh, is a professional piano player, plays jazz, classical, um, and he has been as long as I've been alive <laughs> and, and then some, yeah. but, uh, just being around like the sound of a piano pretty much from birth, you know, and, and high quality music being played over the stereo. Um, you know, I was just kind of like bathed in music from like, from the get go. So I, I, I think it was inevitable that, you know, myself, my older sister, Christina, and my younger brother, Nick, who's in the band with me now, um, I, it was kind of inevitable that we were going to get a dose of some degree of musical, you know, whether you want to say ability or talent or whatever. We were all kind of, uh, I'll just say we're theatrical. <laughs> yeah, we're theat theatrical bunch in that way. But, you know, I can remember hearing uh, Beatles music from when I was like, you know, a toddler. Like I could, I, you know, it must have been from that era because I remember being very small, like looking up at everybody, but also hearing, you know, close your eyes and I'll kiss you. You know, like that sticks out in my brain is like a particularly poignant memory. Um, that my dad used to play a lot of Bach on the piano. So that that sort of counterpoint, um, uh, how would you say, like the the uh, the baseline to all music and how it sort of moves comes a lot from like the Bachian way of putting chords and melodies together, um, you know, in counterpoint. And, and so like, I remember I had that kind of like always swimming through my head one way or another. Um, but for me to actually take up an instrument, um, that was, that was a trumpet actually in, really? uh, in like, in like second or third grade. Yeah. That was, um, my uncle Joe, who is a trumpet player himself, sort of introduced me to Louis Armstrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of, you know, that, that new Orleans jazz feel, you know, big brass trumpet sound. And, and I just was kind of like taken aback at how signature this guy sounded playing a horn, you know, because oh. he, you think like, you know, we all have voices, right? And you, this is what I sound like. You could recognize my voice if we were talking on the phone, you know, I could recognize yours. And, um, a lot of people don't realize that like not every instrument sounds the same with, you know, a different person playing it. It's literally another voice. So to hear like Louie do his thing on the trumpet and like listen to another trumpet player, it wasn't the same thing. That, right. that really intrigued me that he had his own sound that was special and so i started playing trumpet and uh took some lessons by uh from uh, a gentleman called pete bloom he's actually a police officer here in town um i've actually had the pleasure of teaching his kids which is kind of crazy you know um but more on that after and i, I learned my theory from pete and all the while i was kind of picking this and that up off my dad because he would still play regularly and right being a music teacher himself. Um, and then I got to like, you know, I would say eighth or ninth grade, seventh grade, somewhere in there. And it was all jazz and classical music for me. I did not wake up to modern music until I was, you know, I was just 
just about 12 or 13 years old, you know, right. so I was aware I was still a kid, but I was aware of myself at that point. Yeah. What I liked and what I didn't like. And, um, my sister had these, uh, box sets of like Beatle records. I don't know if you ever, you ever had them. They're like the, the red album and the blue one. And the red one was like 1962 yes. to like 1966. And then the other one yes. was 66. That, so we had those kicking around. And uh, so my sister, who is a is is a very gifted singer herself um, and was a very talented actress, um, would put on these Beatle CDs. And I remember hearing it sort of coming down the hallway from her bedroom. And I was like, holy crap, I know that. I know that. And there, sure enough, there's close your eyes and I'll kiss you. And I'm like, <laughs> why do I know that? Why does that feel like? home to me you know and so of course it's 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 the Beatles you know so that kind of lit the fire into pop culture in a way it's funny because when I was in eighth and ninth grade it's got to be 2001 2002 something like that but having not experienced any modern music up until that point it was like I was a kid in the 60s when the Beatles actually happened so I, I feel very fortunate to have had that experience of like, I know what a 12, 13 year old kid in the sixties felt mm. when the Beatles played Ed Sullivan for the first time, yeah. you know, I threw some sort of, you know, uh wormhole, I was able to travel to that time. And I got, I got hit with Beatlemania, you know, in two, in the two thousands, you know, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not unique in that sense because everybody goes through a thing with the Beatles, but that was really the, that was the like the um, that was the entry level thing for me. And I started, you know, plucking around on the guitar. My dad played a little guitar, so I would start, you know, pulling out his guitar and finding some notes, this, that, you know. And and I, sure enough, um, like your brother Phil, being largely self taught, I kind of found the right chords, and you know, there was an innate sense of what notes went together. That was there. That was in place from all the the uh, musical osmosis that I had um, soaked up over the years of just being around it. I finally found the G chord. Okay. Right. If I just pop my finger up one string, it'll be like, you know, now I know it's a C sus chord, you right. know, with a, with a, with a nine in there, but like, then it was just, okay, that's the easiest thing I could do. And I would just go back and forth between G and C back and forth. Um, figured out E minor. Ooh, minor chords. That's a whole new thing, you know? Yeah. And so on and so forth. And, and, uh, I started, uh, this is, this is still before, this is still before being in any bands or anything like that is, um, we had like an eight track hard disc recorder. Uh, actually, so sorry. Old I keep school. I love this. Yeah. This I keep jumping great. ahead. Actually, let me go back before the hard disc recorder. So I, I, you're familiar with MIDI, you know, yeah. sequencing, you know, you know, I think, you know I think my first vocal recording was on like a DAT tape, D-A-T, the DAT tape. Whatever. Yeah, that's that's some that's some history right there. You know, that's good stuff. Yeah, it's so um, wild. <laughs> that's yeah, that's good stuff. That's the real deal. Yeah. Um, but Star I had this banner, you know, <laughs> nice, nice. Got to hear that sometime. <laughs> um, but my dad had this. Uh, this like MIDI recording sequencer programs, like, you know, ancient computer programs, you know, whatever the version of 
Mac that was out at that time, you know, and it was very simple. You had your very basic MIDI instruments, you know, I don't think they weren't very expressive. It was like a trumpet, a piano, a guitar, you know, and they all kind of sounded very, very robotic. And um, because I had studied trumpet, I was able to read music. I could read treble clef, bass clef, and I received a Beatles scorebook for Christmas one year. This is, I don't know, maybe you've seen it. It's the, the big white one, big, it's like a tome, gigantic white Bible of Beatles music. Oh, I've got the um, guitar one that's the gray soft cover, but I just put right, that right. out. It's so weird. It's not weird. It's no coincidences that we're having this Beatles conversation. I am. No. I just got back into some of that repertoire again the other night, just randomly, it just came out, but wild, continued. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, so, that, so I got, I got this like scorebook and this is all the parts, right? It's yeah. a score. I got the bass part. I have the drum, the ju- drum chart, all the guitar, everything wow. very accurate too. Um, and so I would go in this MIDI program, right. And I'd read verbatim the, the parts, the guitar part, the piano part. And I'd one by one recreate these Beatles records in in wow. this MIDI program. Yeah. And then what I would do, because I wanted to play with other musicians so bad, I would mute, you know, certain parts. I'd be, okay, I'm going to play guitar this time. And I'd have like the drums and bass and keyboards going and I got right. to just play along. Um, and I said, well, I got bored playing guitar. I want to think I want to play bass. So I'd mute the bass and I'd play the bass line, you know, and I mute that. And then I'd have like, I didn't have a drum set yet, but I would, I had like a keyboard with drum sounds on it. I'd be like, and I'd play along that way. So I, I, yeah. it was just fun for me, but I got a lot of, a lot of training, uh, particularly in a producerial sense from just trying to simulate having a band to play with. Um, then I get the hard disk recorder, it's eight tracks. Then I could actually play, you know, I think I, my dad got me a bass by then and uh, I could play the actual parts instead of having to rely on MIDI sequencing. Right. Um, and I started, that's, that's kind of where writing songs started for me. It was like, okay, well, if I'm going to play guitar, I'm, I'm definitely going to sing because that's what the Beatles do. And well, they wrote their songs. So that's what I'm going to do. So I started, that's where I took the first kind of steps into, into um, songwriting, um, which is where yeah. Phil enters the equation <laughs> yeah, Phil. And, and Greg. Phil and Greg and Steve right. and Steve's uh, brother, Ray, too, at the time. So I, Steve and I, one thing that's, um, it's kind of funny thinking back on it because like, I don't really feel this way now, but Phil and Greg are in the grade above me and, oh. uh, and Steve. And it was kind of like, it was weird at the time because it was like, oh, these are the older kids, you know, I'm not, even though like what year, not even a year apart. They were it just feels, in the grade above. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And of course, now it's like we're, you know, we're all old and friends. But like, it's, you know, um, looking back on it, I had been playing like sort of in a in a little group with my buddy, Steve Ranalone, who's actually the drummer in Running Lights now. So okay. he and I are still playing together. Steve and I played baseball growing up, you know, and we found sort of a love for music and stuff. And I was very like Beatles and this retro stuff. And he was listening to like, death metal you know so like we came from very very opposite ends of the spectrum and uh we started this little band 
in a buddy's basement, just, you know, a couple of kids with guitars and I was playing bass, you know, I was messing around singing, probably sounded like crap, <laughs> but, uh, um, at that point, I think if, we all met through sports. That's the funny thing is like oh, yeah. me and Steve played, played baseball together. Um, me and Greg played football together. I think Phil was done playing football at the time we came, became friends, but like he and I were in the same math class together. <laughs> there you go. So like that, I was a total idiot with mathematics or anything like that. And of course, Phil is a, you know, almost genius with that kind of yeah. stuff. I couldn't, couldn't even say almost he is. And so he would, you know, every now and again, we get partnered up in class and, and he'd be like, really, man? <laughs> like, I don't even know what two plus two is, man. And, you know, so I would kind of maybe lean over, get a glimpse of what equation he was writing down. But through the grapevine, I discovered Greg was already a friend through football. And I knew he sang because right. I'd seen him in the school. I'd, I'd seen him in the school plays. And he was like, you know, Greg was like the, the, the talk of the town. Greg was yeah. like, you know, he was like kind of like an early he'd be if he you know, I don't know if he's, he's going to listen to this or if he sees this. But like, you know, when we were young. And I remember I was younger, so I really looked up to to Greg and his prowess on the stage. And he had this killer voice. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, actually, I remember the first musical I ever did was um, I got like recruited. I was still in middle school and they were in high school and, and they needed like a couple extra uh, male extras. And I met Greg during that. He was older. And, and, and here's this guy. He goes, and I'm kind of strumming a guitar backstage, just messing around. And he comes up, he goes we're going to be in a band. You know? Yes. And just, and just like walks away. <laughs> Love it. I was Greg. Like, okay. <laughs> um, and so I was, I had been friends with Greg math class with Phil and I re and discovered that the two of them were really tight yeah. and they had been sort of musically bouncing some stuff back and forth. I said, well, I got, you know, I got this drummer, Steve that, that I play with and he's really good. And, and I think I'm kind of okay. And I remember, Phil coming over my house with his bass and uh, plugging into my eight track machine. He played this, this riff. Um, and the song, it turned into a song called moment away, which was, you know, and he had that the, the riff for it with the main like motif for the song. Like, Man, okay. So there's something going on here. He like knows what a riff is, you know, and he knows, and he could articulate it and play it well, you know, um, kind of like he brought in a hook and right off the bat, I was like, okay, mm. that's, there's something, it's not just chords. We're not just slamming away on guitars. Like he's writing parts. A mel yeah, melodic line, a riff, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it just kind of, it kind of blossomed from there, you know, and we started this band in high school. We called it Pandora's mistake, you know, Pandora's, Pandora's box, <laughs> you know, she opened the box and all the evils of the world were unleashed and that was her mistake. That's so that's who we were. <laughs> that's right i remember that name now Moving yeah yeah ever since yeah and we played you know this and that um and you know time went by the band sort of fizzled out i started like you know because i was just playing guitar and yeah greg was this greg was the singer that was like his role and he was writing most of the lyrics and that was that was his thing and i said well you know i, I bet i could do that um i'd like to try that so i had this other band that I was in for a while at the tail end of high school called seven days later. And then I went off to Berkeley college of music yeah. um, and, and kind of started playing with a lot of, a lot of musicians in Berkeley. And 
Phil and Greg and I and Steve and I didn't play for kind of a while, but we stayed we stayed pals. And then in the latter half of my Berkeley time was when ever since happened. So I was home one summer. I see. Yeah. So there's I there's see. like a little bit of a timeline. Okay. Yeah. There were like multiple bands, but you know, I'm I know it's long winded, but uh so ever since happens and I was home for a summer and I was I was then thinking about maybe leaving Berkeley. I was kind of like I'm mm-hmm. I'm I feel like you don't learn what I want to do in a classroom. And there had been you know, it was just there was like a little bit of like trickery about it. Berkeley I I don't want to talk any smack about Berkeley because it's a great environment being around musicians at all times is the number one thing that's worth going to Berkeley for. Some classes are good. Some are kind of, kind of whack. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, know, it's so interesting that you bring that up too, because I, I had this moment and this is why again, dreamer dreamers really coming up for me. And I love hearing what's unfolding in this timeline of experiences that you're having. Cause I had so many questions about it and you just explaining all of this have, has answered so many, but there is a, there is a break, uh, a, a very important moment for me where Mrs. Melito, uh, yeah. you know, was knew that I wasn't sort of your typical theatrical theater person and she's like you're kind of off the beaten path here cat why don't you check out this berkeley thing and i Mm. got i got the papers that you know the first tuition bill and i i got in and she trained me for that there was a lot of theory and work i had to do to get into that school it was a big deal my my graduation cake had you know congratulations for your uh berkeley on it everything and i backed out I backed out last minute. I was, I was really freaked out by it. Um, it seemed, it just seemed too big and it it really scared me. And a lot of people asked me, why did you just not do that? Why did you not go? And I had it, obviously everything happens for a reason, but Mm -hmm. I, um, I think if there was regret, you, you explained it very well. It's, it's surround yourself with musicians be in that yeah. environment. There's something that 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 camaraderie and that the um, learning off of each other just makes you work harder at your craft. So yeah. I, I think when you put creatives into a structure, into a box, we want to like you know rip that yeah. apart. So absolutely, I, I could absolutely. understand absolutely. that. But what actually inspired was it? Sort of a similar thing that you just knew that this was the school for musicians and you went or were you, that was kind of, yeah. Yeah. I would say that you kind of hit the nail on the head. I was like, you know, Berkeley was this big talk of like, all right, Hey, you know, this is where you go. If you're not going to study classical. Right. (laughs) Right. And you don't want to be a jazz musician. You know, this is the contemporary school. People come the world over to come to, to go to this school. Right. And you uh, pushed through. So you got through. Yeah, I and yeah. I got in. I'm I'm proud to have gotten in, to have gone there. You know, don't get me yeah. wrong, but it definitely for me, it's different for everybody. You know, yeah. for me, the biggest growing that I did at Berkeley was just being just like neck deep in other musicians at all. T- you know, like I couldn't yeah. get away from music in any capacity. There was nothing else for right. me to 
digest. It was everyone was doing something. And uh, and I did value some of the songwriting courses that I took because you would have to show up with a song every week, you know, and they'd put the lyrics up on the board and you'd play it live in front of the class and the class would critique it. And and sometimes we were we were, you know, uh, encouraged to be very honest, which which I appreciated because, you know, how are you going to grow? Yeah. Let's let's talk about growth and evolution, because, again, I mean, I I knew some of this story and your early roots with this. But but. It's always interesting to me when I hear a voice and I hear someone's music immediately, we try to hook on to who who are they influenced by, who they sound like as as music consumers, we have to reference you to somebody. You sound, you, you sound like you, you have, you have such a unique uh, trait and I feel you grew into that. And I'm saying that because I listened to some of your early work and I even caught that little clip on the voice just to see what that experience was like, man, I I know some people, I mean, that, that went through that and getting, that's a, it's a real commitment. It's a real commitment to stand on that line and keep going, keep going. But yeah. That you was know, quite an experience. Even your voice at that moment is is a different version of you. And when I'm yeah. hearing your work now, you have stepped into your art. How what have you committed to recently? Because there I feel there's just a, a real synergy now. All the elements, everything's was so beautiful with all that other work that you've done in the singles, but guys, you have to listen to this music. It's just, it's just top notch. Um, what have you done to push yourself vocally to elevate to this, this so, level that you're at? That's a, that's a great question. First, just let me, let me say thank you for the compliment that, that you sound like you is probably the, the one thing that uh, any singer songwriter or artist is is like striving for to have yeah. their own identity so thank I you mean for it. saying I mean that. it I appreciate that um but uh what was the now I forgot the question Your evolution, that voice that voice you know <laughs> oh right you, right, right. You, I don't know if you know it but you broke through something has shifted in your vocal approach and something I want to know I, yeah I mean you're definitely you're 100% correct because I've felt it sort of in the last few years. Um, I think it's just, you know, if you listen to, and I'm not, I'm not putting myself on the level of like, you know, an old blues singer or something like that, but like, if you, you can hear experience in a person's voice, Oh, um, yeah. you, you can hear, and I, I don't just mean like music industry experience. I mean, like life yes. I've lived, you know, yes. um, I've, I've had some ups and downs. I've, you know, some really like the highest highs and the lowest lows, you know, I've hit some rock bottom points and I've scraped the ceiling of what I thought I was capable of. And I think all that plays into, you know, that, uh, ethereal piece of the voice, you know, they call it soul. If you have a soul in your voice, you don't have to sing like a soul singer to have mm-hmm. soul, but you know it when it's there. And I think it's it, it's not really for me my voice is is born of like you know just singing really loud 
against really loud rock bands with a with a with a crappy PA. So like, yeah. I've kind of learned how to project in that way. Um, kind of like uh, Louis Armstrong with his trumpet, right? His trumpet cuts through everything that's around it. So that's kind of the, I, I don't know if I took some like intrinsic, um, mm-hmm. you know, cue from that early on, but I've been told that my voice is one of those that sort of just, you know, you can hear it above uh, any background noise. And it's interesting because, my last name actually, Squillante, is um, an Italian. It's if if someone is a Squillante, it means they have this bell-like quality to their voice. It's used in opera, which is wow. which is kind of why. Yeah, it's it's honestly, I, it's one of one of those Ooh. things that uh, I'm like, wow, that that does sort of make sense, and I'm I'm you know glad that it does, but. Uh, yeah, I think to answer your question about where the line was from from that version to this version, mm. it's just life and experience, life. and and I yeah, life, and I, I kind of know what I know what works for me now a lot more than I did. I'm not reaching for stuff, mm. you know. Um, I know where to write for myself, you know, um, and I'm sure that's that's true of a lot of singer songwriters. Is you know, of course you're going to be able to sing the stuff you write. Um, and that's actually, you know, actually on that point, it's, it's good to know stuff that you write that you shouldn't sing. That should be for someone else. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that's a anyways. good point too, for sure. And I've noticed that as a production team, you work with, with major artists and um, up and coming emerging talent. What's it like for you as a writer to write something for yourself and then envision it for somebody else how do you how do you manage those hats all the ones that you wear what puts you in that space um i think it, for me songwriting always starts as like self form of self-expression right so like i've been in the sessions where like there's a task right okay we're gonna pitch 12 songs to you know demi lovato and they've all got to have that demi thing and uh you know it kind of, you know, you're already starting at a play. You're already in a box. You know what I'm mm. saying? There's no, it's not, it, and a lot of the industry, pop music industry works that way. And that's okay. Um, but it's very assembly line. Um, for me, like, you know, if I'm writing alone, it always starts as something that I feel like I want to sing. If I feel like I want to sing it, then I know it's worth something, at least to me in my, for my own bracket of like, what is good and bad, you know? And then from mm. there, it'll either find a home in my lungs, you know, or, or it, it never really finds that spot and you can kind of pass it off. Say, Hey, you know, this might sound really good for right. you, right. you know? Um, but yeah, it, it all starts from like, I'm going to, if, if let's, how do I put this? Let's see. I'll be the one. If I'll be the one to put myself in the shoes of the performer that will be singing that song and that will inform the song. Yeah. And then once it's over and done with, it's like you come out of a trance yeah. and the song exists. Right. And then you can truly be the judge of that song because you're not, you know, intimately involved in the creation of it. You know, it's, yeah. it's very, that's a, that's a fine line. Um, you have to see things through to the end. I feel like in every sitting, when I sit down to write a song, I'll rarely leave it unfinished. 
because that's just, it's like an OCD thing I have, but it's also like, you know, you want to see it through to the end. Right. And, you know, a lot of times it'll be late and I'll be in here working on something and I'll put something down, demo it out. And then I'll call it a night immediately. Like won't even listen back to it, you know, right. put it down, close the Pro Tools session, walk away. Next day, I don't remember what it was. So I get to listen to it mm-hmm. like I'm hearing it for the first time. And that's some of the most telling moments, oh, you know. So informative. I can, yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you that. know, yeah. And for somebody who is managing so many different things and there's so many parts of your work that you're doing from day to day, What's what is typical day to day like? Are you right now solely focusing on running lights material? Or do you have a roster of artists that you're working with? What's the journey like and what's some of the things that are upcoming that we can learn a little bit more about? So um, the day to day is, you know, in this industry, as I'm sure, you know, it's it's yeah. kind of like you know, you got to kind of whatever opportunity comes across the desk that's like going to be more important. You kind of got to drop everything and run a lot of the time. But um, generally these days I'm working co-producing with another producer called Jamie Petrelli in uh, out of Brooklyn. So I'm in Brooklyn two to three times a week. Mm -hmm. And he and I have sort of cultivated a little um, network of artists that come in and write and you know, we sort of build the track out, you know, Jamie's very hands-on with the actual production thing, which gives me the opportunity to sort of sit back and, and just reflect Mm. and learn from his approach, because I've had one approach when I'm the one at the computer, you know, for many years. So it's been real, we've been working together almost two years now, and we've done a couple of records. We work with this artist called, um, Iana, Y-I-A-N-N-A. We've got uh, a record out with her, and another one coming pretty soon. Um, who else? Who else? There's a, a rap artist that we've worked with called MC Remark, mm-hmm. which that was a, I'd never produced an artist who was a rapper before. So that was a big learning awesome. experience for me. Yeah. Um, we've got a track out with him and another one following. So, you know, we're working. We You have to create your own work. You yeah. know, Jamie and I have been really good at showing up you know, if even if there's no artist that week for us to work with, yeah. I'll kind of, you know, he and I will just get together and I'll sort of put on the artist hat, you know, right. and we'll, we'll walk away with something, yeah. you know, some of my favorite songs he and I have worked on are, are like, just when we had nothing else to do, it's like, Hey man, you want to get together tomorrow? Yeah. Come by the studio. Let's just, you know, write some, write some stuff. And six hours later, there's a song, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. um, it's, it's just so, so rewarding. It feels like, just like you said, like, just bring it to fruition, just get exercise, all of this. And, you know, my first album and, and why I just couldn't let this title go. I always said, I had this joke saying like, I'll never be in a band because I can't come up with a cool band name. So I'm like, I'm always <laughs> going to be a solo artist. Like that's how it's going to go. But the one uh, I really like naming, you know, my songs and the albums, but is we're in such a single driven world. So the album, yeah. my first album was called Engaging the Muse. And I was driving around last summer trying to figure out what am I going to name this podcast? I'm really loving where it's going and the people I'm talking to and how they stay inspired and how they 
we're going to end with this. How do they keep that dream alive? How do they, how yeah. do they keep that going? And it's like, that's what came to me with engaging the muse. It was understanding that the muse likes to go to bed sometimes. She likes to quiet herself down and not always show up, but to right. evoke it and give yourself a task or meet new people or listen to a new artist, you know, she wakes back up and, and it, the, it reemerges. And I love that. And I love mm-hmm. hearing about that from everyone on the show. And so the latest single of running lights is dreamer. Talk about an ear in that earworm. I'm <laughs> oh, love that. Guys, well, that's you. your that's your Monday morning motivation song. That's your every morning motivation. Get out of bed, <laughs> keep going. Um, so what's next for you? What do you think? What's next? What's what's keeping that dream alive? What's what's next for you? So the band, um, we've recently signed with a with an agency called Deggy Entertainment. They specialize in the college touring circuit. So oh, great. We've been actually doing a fair amount of traveling. You know, everything was shut down over the last year and a half because of COVID. But uh, there's a fair amount of schools um, that are starting to do outdoor events. And right. so we've been able to travel a bit in 2021. We, we were in Cincinnati. We did Virginia. We Last weekend, we were in Houston. Um, going to Spokane, Washington, weekend after next. And uh, Orlando as well. So we're we're bouncing around. They they've really put us to work. So that's kind of what's on the docket for the band. Um, and you know, as artists as you and I are, you know, we know that you have to grow and change and evolve and and uh, sort of wake the muse back up. You know, so I'm we're we're taking sort of a different approach to how the songs are sort of written. At least being the principal songwriter in the group, I'm looking at sort of a different way of of doing it um where it's it's less checks and balances you know it's more free um i won't in recent times uh i you know i'll come up with like the chorus or the hook first and then that'll give me what the song is about there's the title then you go back and fill in the gaps with the verses and pre's and that you know you write good songs like that like with dreamer that was how that you know i had this we had this chorus you know, I know the world don't revolve around me, you know, like that whole thing. Yes. And then we went back. Okay. The song's called dreamer, you know, that gives you a path to go. So this, the new way that I'm starting to do things is I'll put down an idea, guitar loop, something like that, get something going, chord progression, and just kind of sit with it. And the first phrase that comes to mind is the first line of the song. Mm. And it, it it must be. Those are the rules by which I'm governing my songwriting process now. So, yes. and and I and I'm I can't jump ahead either. Like I have to write the verse line by line, then I got to hit the pre line by line, and that'll inform the chorus line by line. It's all linear, so that you have a really a through line, a train of thought yep. that you can follow, and a story there. You know, because um, sometimes you can have a disconnect between if you write this killer big chorus. Oh yeah. You know, you just, at that point, you're just trying to fill in the gaps and you might lose some sort of, you know, story quality. So these are the limitations that I'm sort of setting for myself because think about when you were a young artist, right. Or when I was younger, we didn't have it all figured out. 
I had an eight track hard disk recorder. I had only eight tracks. You know what I mean? Yeah. More than probably a lot of other kids had at the time, but like that was it. I had to do everything I needed to do in eight tracks, and that was all I could do. You know, now I work in Pro Tools. It's unlimited. You know, um, I know how to produce songs. I know how to write songs. I've done that many, many times. You know, the limitations are not super heavy on me anymore. So mm-hmm. I'm setting setting the this. It's interesting. We're talking about not being put in a box. I'm kind of putting myself in a box <laughs> so that what my jazz and find... teacher told me that very thing. We had to create the structure and then it evokes the creativity. It's fascinating. Yeah. That's it. I mean, some of the most most yeah. uh, brilliant pieces of work are because the artists tried for something, couldn't get it. Yeah. And where they landed was that sweet spot of yeah. like genius yeah. you know so that's kind of what i'm trying it's to tap discipline into and it's your discipline that's your day-to-day it's discipline you yeah know? i love this college circuit thing i actually was turned you know was introduced to uh, i think it was nam uh not NAM. yeah yeah uh naka yeah n-a-c-a NACA. right NACA. yeah so we're Thank doing you. that's we're doing the conference in spokane yeah. actually so that's so good yeah. to know that that's still really prevalent and it's really a way for you know, people to get exposed to new artists. And yeah, that's great. And you have such a wonderful following already. I know that's going to keep growing. But Mike, I as I say to all of my guests, I could keep talking. There's so much more uh, that we can evolve. But I loved hearing about your journey tonight and where you are right now. I'm inspired by inspired people. And thank you so much for being a part of tonight's podcast. Thank you. A, a true pleasure. I'm glad we can make it happen and, and uh, won't be the last time. Absolutely not. I think we should stay connected. And one of um, what's happening on this is maybe I, I'm collecting all of my muses, all the people who who I need to surround myself with. Uh, a collaboration might be coming down the line for us. I say we make that happen. I say I'm down. That, yeah, I'm down. We do it. Yeah. So. And I know you're not so far away now. <laughs> no, no. When you're not I mean, on tour. <laughs> you know me, I'm I'm bouncing, you know, I'm yeah. I'm every week is different. So I might yeah. be across the country, but I'm you know, when I am here, I'm here and this is this is home and this is where the records get made. So well, I you know. so appreciate you taking the time out tonight and not only that, learning such a a, a cool song, the bones for my brother's wedding this summer. Oh, that and, was great. Uh, it was just a really beautiful experience to sing and share the stage with you. So uh, more on that. And uh, everyone, be sure to check out Running Lights on Spotify and Mike Squilanti, uh on Spotify as well. I know you have some other music there on your own account. So thank you so much and uh, appreciate you being a part of this. Cheers. Thank you, Kat. Thank you. If you want to learn more about the process, creativity, and the journey, check out my website, katspinamusic.com. Thank you again for listening.